So let's pray together, and then we'll dive into our scripture this morning. Lord Jesus, we recognize your presence here today. And we ask that you would remove all distractions to keep us from entering into your presence. God, I ask that you would speak through my lips, use me as a clean vessel, and that you would bend our hearts and our wills to your own. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are looking at Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39. Uh, so if you can open up your Bibles with me, Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, who is Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Tell me you haven't heard these statements before. I'm so busy. Life is just so demanding. Uh, work is really demanding. I just don't have time for it. I just need a day. I need a break. Right? I, I say those things daily, and then I proceed to pick up my phone and scroll mindlessly for an hour, right? like true confessions. <laughs> um, but the demands of life, they're real. They are. And at times, they can be unbearable, right? Like you go through the day today. In a week span, my family had uh, an adoption day for our son, Moses. Um, the next day, we had a funeral to attend for a friend who died of a heart attack in his 30s. Um, and then a wedding. Uh, my brother had his first son, right? Like there were in a week, right? The demands of the day-to-day -day are real. And then you add on tragedies like this last week on top of it, and it can feel unbearable at times, right? So I get it. Um, and sometimes we just need space to check out. <laughs> um, but in this scripture passage, we see what Jesus does in the day-to-day. -day. We get a glimpse into the day in the life of Jesus. And we get to see the rhythm by which he lived, the pace he set for himself. And just a side note, is it not so gracious of God to allow us to see like the perfect living example of Jesus who lived the day to day, went through every joy, pain and suffering that we would, but he did it perfectly. That's God's mercy for us. <laughs> and so on this particular day and every day, <laughs> Jesus had a ton of demands before him. Right? And it says the whole town or the whole city of Capernaum that is a hyperbole for a lot of people, right? They, they were seeking him and demanding his miraculous healing. And in these five verses, we see that despite all of these demands, Jesus sets time aside. He prioritizes and protects this time to communion with God through prayer. And he gets his assignment, his direction, his strength through this time. For this is the will of God, 
right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That is kind of like a daunting call. <laughs> pray without ceasing, right? Like, am I supposed to be a monk and like hold my coffee and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this coffee that's now cold because all morning I've had screaming children demanding snacks, right? Like, no, but yes, right? It is a, a, a call to a way of life, a prayer-filled life. And it's a great aspiration to pray without ceasing, but it's, it's both, right? We're, we are to pray in the Spirit when led by the Spirit at all times, but we're also supposed to be disciplined in prayer, which means pre-planning our time, setting time aside, arranging our day around prayer. So it's both and. And, and Jesus, he wasn't trying to create this like holy moment vibe, right? Like every moment was holy for him. And I would argue that you will not be drawn to prayer in the most desperate times, the most joy-filled times, the most peaceful times. You won't be drawn to it if you don't have a discipline of prayer in your life. Like you can't learn to read fluently and with automaticity if you don't read at all. <laughs> if you only read five minutes a day, right? You have to learn what sounds certain letters say, right? You learn to recognize letters first and foremost, then you learn their sounds, then you learn to blend them together. You hear how words sound, and then you can start to read on your own. And it takes a lot of practice, right? The first like seven years of your life, you're learning to read. <laughs> the same goes for our prayer life. It will not become fluid or automatic if we only do it on a Sunday, if we only do it at mealtimes. It takes practice, and we have to set time aside for that, arrange our day for it, and Jesus does that here. <laughs> he shows us what the discipline of prayer looks like in Mark 1, 35 through 39 on a very busy, or I'd prefer to say filled day. So for some context, verse 35 picks up after the Sabbath has ended. Um, so it's early Sunday morning, and in Jewish tradition, the Sabbath started at sundown on Friday and ended sundown Saturday. And on, Sab on the Sabbath, Jesus had healed a man, a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. Pastor Shaq had talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law, at her house, which is a detail I'll come back to later. Um, and so after sundown on Saturday, after the Sabbath is officially over, verse 33 says the whole city had gathered at the door, right? They, they were seeking Jesus. They now had freedom from the Sabbath law to walk or carry people to find Jesus. Now, <laughs> Take a moment, because walking to find Jesus would have been considered work in Jewish tradition and law. And so just take a minute and think about, because this is something we'll come back to throughout the Gospel of Mark, of just this tradition of 
you couldn't seek healing <laughs> on Sabbath, right? Like, can you imagine if hospitals or doctor's offices were closed and you needed medical attention, right? Like, what type of religious system or tradition is that, that maybe is trying to preserve its own tradition or power rather than seeking the wholeness, the fullness of its people? So we'll have a lot of discussion about that as, as this uh, study of Mark goes on. But so they brought their sick and their demon-possessed to Jesus. And because they had heard testimony, right? News was flooding. Capernaum was on a trade route. So news traveled really quickly of this man who was doing miraculous healings and speaking with authority. And he was faith, Jesus was faithful to heal many that day who came to seek him. So verse 35 picks up saying, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So two things to spend some time on together. It was early, like really early. It says it was still dark out, right? Probably like one of those moments where you're like the only one driving on the highway, right? <laughs> no one else is up. And this was the day after the Sabbath. And so I think it's important to, to point out that Jesus' first thing to do after the day of the Lord was pray. It's not just our Sundays that we give to the Lord. Every day belongs to the Lord. And if I'm being honest, I don't even really give a day of the week to God. It's like a catch-up day for me, right? Thing, a day where we can get a lot of things done. <laughs> uh, but Jesus' first thing was to go and pray with his Father. And so... He didn't, after a really full day, right, like he had people at his door the night before, and he wakes up, he doesn't hit snooze, he doesn't roll over and go back to sleep, he doesn't say, I'll do it later, he gets up, he prioritizes that time because it's necessary, it's a must for him. He knew his day would be full. He knew that because people were there before, they'd come again, and he still went and set time aside. Do we do that? Do we fight for this time with the Father? Jesus sacrificed a lot of things, like his life. I get, I'm not dumbing that down, okay? But here, in this moment, we do see him sacrifice something significant that many of us probably wouldn't sacrifice to pray. He sacrifices sleep. Sleep is like the last thing that I'll sacrifice. I mean, when nine o'clock hits, I'm like, okay, it's time for me to go to bed, <laughs> right? And it's probably the one thing that I need to sacrifice then if I'm not willing to give it up. But Jesus trusted his father with his energy. He didn't think, oh, because I cut my, my sleep an hour short, I'm not gonna have energy, I'm gonna need a lot of coffee. He just trusts God with it. He knew time with his father was more important than sleep. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we begin the day in silence because God should have the first word. We end the day in silence because God should have the last word. The start and end of our days are significant times to give to the Lord. Second, Jesus left the house and went to a secluded place. Do you remember where the healing of Peter's mother-in-law was? 
It was at their house. He leaves that house, right? And it says that he went to a secluded place, and in the Greek, it means wilderness and isolation. You see, the house was where ministry was happening, and he left the house to get rest and time with the Father. What if rest was meant to be outside of the home? What if our ministry and mission was meant to be in our home? I often think um, (laughs) that we have the two switched, right? Like I think when I come home, am I present with the people God has placed in my home? Probably not. I often come home and I need, I need that space. <laughs> I need that time alone rather than engaging with the children he's placed in my home or my husband or a friend who comes over and wants to talk. What if home became the epicenter for our mission and ministry? And this is something I told Connor yesterday. I was like, you're going to think I'm such a hypocrite standing up tomorrow and saying how we need to be present at home because I'm just constantly like picking up my phone and looking at it. We all struggle with it. But if the place of ministry and mission is the home, then it it can't always be the place you need space. what if, what if our home became the place where it was the best cooking, the best quality time, the best hospitality you've ever had, anyone's ever experienced? And that would be incredible if all of us had places of ministry and mission in our home. The church would be outside of these walls like it should. Now, I'm not saying when I say, okay, yeah, your ministry's in your home, and so you need to leave and go to a secluded place in the wilderness or isolation every day to have this rhythm of prayer. That'd be practically impossible. There are times where you should go do that, absolutely. But in the daily life, in your daily rhythm and routine, maybe it looks like just being up when no one else is up setting an alarm to wake up earlier, going to bed later, to withdraw and be close to the Father. Jesus points this out several times. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, before teaching the Lord's Prayer, he says, But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. In Jesus' day, it was common for the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, to stand on the street corner or outside of the synagogue and shout their prayers to God. And it wasn't so that they could set this awesome example for everyone around them of what it looks like to pray. It was to show their pride, their holiness, and, and you know, eloquently say their prayers that's really unappealing, honestly. Um, and, and Jesus counters that and says, no, go to a secluded place where no one is there. And how often do we try to talk to God as if we're holier than we are, <laughs> right? Like, we're not necessarily trying to show off, but it's like maybe we're talking to an acquaintance or one of our supervisors and just trying to present well. 
What if rather than speaking to God like he was an acquaintance or a supervisor, we talked to him as if he was our longest and closest friend? What if we were real with him about the reality in which he already knows? Right? Like this is the call to the wilderness because in the wilderness when you are in a, in a forest or somewhere completely alone, you are vulnerable to everything around you. You are laid bare. And that's where he wants to meet you. He loves meeting people in their lowliest and loneliest places. But this can only be done in the quiet, in secluded place where we're one-on-one with the Father. This is, a, again, a pattern of prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. He knew that if they kept going, if they didn't draw away to be with the Father, if they kept pressing, kept going, they would, it would lead to exhaustion, quitting the mission of following Jesus, or becoming addicted to work. Do those three things sound familiar? So Jesus stepped away, right? He planned to have this time with the Father. In verse 36, it says that Peter and the others were looking for Jesus. And the root word for looking for is to hunt down. They were on a mission to find Jesus. (laughs) Because there was great need that they knew only Jesus could fulfill, right? And only Jesus could meet. And Jesus replies and says, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. For that is why I have come. His response probably wasn't what Peter wanted to hear. (laughs) Right? Like, there were so many people coming and waiting to find Jesus. And they wanted to hear from this miraculous man who spoke with authority that could heal them. He was trending. Right? Jesus at this moment was like headed towards his peak of trending, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna go somewhere else. Like, imagine Justin Bieber the morning of his concert in Pittsburgh. If he says, looks at his manager and says, Yeah, we should go to Lancaster. Like, I mean, the fans would be like, What is going on? This is crazy. His manager would be like, I think you actually need to see a doctor right? But this was maybe Peter's, I don't know what Peter's reaction was, but if I were Peter, I would be like, are you, are you kidding me? Right? There, there's so much to do here, and there's so much that can point to God. It's so, so good that it can point to God, and yet Jesus, he said, no, we're going to go to the nearby villages, for that's what I've come to do. Growing up, my dad always said, Amanda, good isn't always godly. And I still try to live by that today. I often have a hard time deciphering and discerning what's good versus what is godly. (laughs) But we see Jesus as he sets this time aside to commune with God. God focuses his eyes on what is of God not what's good, right? He got focused on his overall mission and his next assignment. And to be faithful and obedient to that next assignment, to fulfill his overall mission, 
he had to leave. It wasn't that Jesus was all of a sudden disregarding the need around him. That's not, that would be counter to Jesus' character. Because over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus looks at the crowds and has compassion for them. And so it wasn't to disregard the need. But it was to be faithful to the one whom he serves. He serves God, not people. And at this moment, it looked like going to the next assignment his father had given him. So let's pause for a moment and like work through this because this is a lot. So Jesus knew his next assignment and his overall mission because he prayed. If Jesus needed that time with the father, and remember he's fully God and fully man, and this passage right here shows his manhood. If he needs God and time with the father, how much more do we need it? And he leaves this time being obedient to the call rather than the need when it's literally coming to hunt him down, right? <laughs> They're coming to find him. The need is there. And the need will never go away for us. The need, just like Jesus, shall show up at our doorstep the next morning. In fact, it's not just in our doorstep. It's in our pocket, on our bedside. It never goes away. Charles Hummel uh, wrote a book called Tyranny of the Urgent, and he has a lot to say about this. And I'll quote him several times, actually. Um, Hummel says, here is the secret of Jesus' life and work for God. He prayerfully waited for his father's instructions and for the strength to follow them. Jesus had no divinely drawn blueprint. He discerned the father's will day by day in a life of prayer. Again, just like a shift in a, where our rest takes place, maybe a shift is needed in our arrangement and priorities of our time. And this shift may actually threaten your perceived productivity and independence. But it's necessary if you want to continue to seek Jesus out, <laughs> to live his mission here on earth. Hummel again states, freedom does not come from trying to produce it. Freedom in the spiritual realm comes by an absolute surrender to Jesus and living dependent upon him. We are a highly productive nation of people, right? The phrases, I'm so busy, work is so much right now. They come frequently out of our mouth. And there have been studies done, actually, recent research that says in Western culture, we use busyness as a status symbol. <laughs> I'm telling this to myself as well when I say this. When we get to the throne of Jesus, your busyness will not be a status symbol. A recent survey uh, on Indeed also showed that 52% of people in the last year are experiencing burnout which is defined as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. This definition, even in and of itself, it's like we need to manage it, right? But that's where all the issue lies, is we try to control it. We try to manage it. 
We try to take control of everything about our lives, our mission, our work, our next assignment. Hummel again says, but the root of all sin is self-sufficiency, independence from the rule of God. When we fail to wait prayerfully for God's guidance and strength, we are saying with our actions, if not with our words, that we don't need him. How much of our service is actually a going at it alone? Trust me, Jesus knew what it meant to have a ton to do. (laughs) Do we not constantly see crowds following him, right? (laughs) They're all over the place, and his days were packed. But the fuller his days got, the more he withdrew. He took purposeful, intentional time with the Father and to get clarity on his mission and, and assignment and strength, right? And so what if his work, his teaching, preaching, and healing was not so much about his productivity, but of a fleshing out of God's purpose through God's strength? And what if we saw that in our lives too, if we looked at our work through that lens of it's no longer about productivity, but about fleshing out God's purpose through his strength. We have direct access to God through prayer because of Jesus, and yet we fail miserably at it because we feel like we don't have the time for it. Jesus didn't let the urgent need of the crowds crowd out the important. Again, from Hummel, he says, when we stop long enough to think about it, we realize that our dilemma goes deeper than a shortage of time. It is basically a problem of priorities. I always want to blame time when really I should be blaming how I've set my priorities. Jesus never got distracted. I mean, he's perfect. We're not. I get that. But we can aim to follow his example and not get pulled away by the demands of life. So verse 37, at the ending of this verse, it's the pinnacle of this passage, right? He says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. This is why Jesus has come. He was clear. He didn't walk around saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, (laughs) right? He spent time with the Father. He knew what he was to do, and that was to heal and bring the good news to all people, not just the people in the city of Capernaum, not just the people that are rich and well-resourced, but also the people in the villages who are oppressed and low in resources. He came for all, not just one person or one city, but all, so that all, the rich, the lowly, the oppressed, the prideful, the sick, could experience his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And prayer was the tool he used to orient himself to that. And we must do the same. Jesus shows us that, yeah, we, we can pray continuously. And again, that's a great aspiration. But unless we pause and have times that we protect to be in the presence of the Father, to commune with him, we won't hear his voice. We won't hear our next assignment. We won't know when to move. Right? We as humans follow the laws of nature. When an object is in motion, it stays in motion. When an object is at rest, it stays at rest. And if we don't take time to slow and come to a stop, 
we aren't going to recognize or hear the voice of God. And there are people, I, I often get asked, well, what if God doesn't speak? Like, does he still speak? And I always pause and think, what if we just create too much noise and chaos to even hear him? Because scripture clearly says he speaks. He speaks in a stillness, in a whisper. In Exodus, right, we see Moses walking and he sees a burning bush that's not consumed. <laughs> burning bushes were common where he would walk. That was not what was weird about it. It was the fact it wasn't being consumed by the fire. And that would have taken him to be able to notice, to be in a posture for him to notice. How often are we just head down, looking at our phone, noise-canceling headphones in, and we miss it, rather than having a posture that's looking upward? So what do we do with this, right? Like our prayer life, at least mine, is pretty lousy at best. And I don't know anyone who says that they have a really robust prayer life. Maybe you're one of those people who has like five times set, set aside in the day to pray. That's awesome. I aspire to be like you. <laughs> but maybe you're the type of person really who only prays Sunday or who prays at mealtimes. I would encourage you. I'm imploring myself, us to spend more time, pre-planned time with the Father. And maybe that means waking up 20 minutes earlier, going to bed 20 minutes later, going for a walk at lunch and having five to 10 minutes to pray the Lord's Prayer. Maybe it means intentionally spending less time on your phone rather than standing in line at a coffee shop and looking at your phone, take that time to pray. What if we went to bed and didn't bring our phones or the book we get lost in or watch TV? What if we left that all downstairs and fell asleep? praying. You know, falling asleep praying, that's not a sin. Shocking, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I never feel closer to God after 20 minutes on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, right? But we have to plan for that. We have to arrange our day for it. And we hurry around rushing from thing to thing and we're spent. And it's probably because we're prioritizing our time incorrectly. Richard McCullen invites us to what's, what he calls a life of prayer. He says it's an established posture of relationship to God that becomes the context within which we experience all the events and relationships of our lives. I invite us to a life of prayer, to a posture where we can be in relationship with God and talk with him because he gives us our mission, our strength, and our authority in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what an example you set for us of spending time with God the Father. And so we leave here today, God, asking that you would change our hearts, that you would change our time, that you would help us to protect our time and give us strength to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.